Welcome to Music and the Church, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, and y'all, I have such a treat for you today. As you know, most Music in the Church episodes are interviews with church leaders, musicians, composers, pastors, folks like that. Well, whenever I did interviews over the last year or so, I would ask the people I interviewed an extra question. And the one that got the biggest and most passionate response was this. What do you wish people knew about your job? So here's the big spoiler, which is actually no surprise at all. Almost everyone said, I work really hard and not just on Sunday mornings and not just when I'm on site at church. I think what's interesting here isn't that church leaders are generally a hardworking bunch. That doesn't surprise me at all. What's interesting to me is that so many of us have folks perceive us as slackers because we aren't doing visible busy work because we work remotely, maybe even because we work wisely and don't cram our days trying to look busy. Instead, we're showing up and doing the work even when other people don't see it. So ahead, we're gonna hear from seven different people, some musicians, plus a pastor and a youth leader about what they wish people knew about their jobs. And yes, they wish people knew that they worked hard, but there are a lot of other interesting things in here about calling, about unconventional career paths, about messing up, making mistakes, a lot of good stuff. Remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash 39. For every person you hear on this episode, you'll be able to see their early episodes and listen to those. One last thing before we jump in. I recently launched a new podcast for church workers. Its name is Called at the Intersection of Life and Ministry. If you enjoy music in the church, I bet you'll enjoy it too, and I hope you'll check it out. Okay, let's hear from Darrell St. Romain, an organist and music minister. So uh, I, I think the number one thing is, is that just because you don't see me there from nine to five, Monday through Friday, does not mean I am not working for the church. Bam. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Because I, I swear, oh, Darrell's here today or he wasn't here. Well, my work week, I have Monday and Tuesday off. So Wednesday and Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So they'll see me regular office hours on Wednesday and Fridays. And, but, but let me show up on a Monday or Tuesday. It's like, Oh, you're here and there's no funeral going on, you know, or, or, or things like that. It's always a joke about, Oh, he's the least one here, but probably the highest one paid. Uh, but I promise you, I am doing more work than you can ever imagine. And your training started when you were nine. Yes. <laughs> no, no I, I'm serious. It's something I bring up with, with folks if they're, they're talking about like, oh, well, you know, church musicians are paid so much. I'm like, well, one, no, they're not. But also two, I mean, I wish. But, mm-hmm. but also like, like we have to start our training when we are very, very young. Oh. And my mother literally cleaned my piano teacher's house. And we also did so that we could afford to have piano lessons. Like that's Mm -hmm. years of sacrifice. And it's not like I can just, you know, go to, go to school for whatever training it is. Go. I mean, I could decide to be a lawyer right now and go get some lawyer training and go be a lawyer. Done. You know, if you decide you want to be an organist today, you're not going to be a very good organist in three years, unless you're already a really good pianist. You're going to be a crap organist. (laughs) Next up, we hear from Chelsea Chen, a concert organist, composer, and church musician. She talks about the work of being a musician and what it's like having an unconventional career path and calling. Well, I think that people don't realize what, uh, what preparation you're doing behind the scenes. Um, sometimes people think it's just show up Sunday morning and 
that's all, that's all your work for the week. Mm, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't be nice. We'd miss out on a lot of nice music time. I think there's a lot that happens and it's, it's created through, like you're saying, meetings with other people, but uh, practicing on your own, thinking about what would be good for new repertoire for church, like literally look, looking around for things. So it's, um, you're yeah. basically always working as a musician. It's, it, you're always thinking about it. And, uh, and weekends are not relaxing if you're playing for church. That's the other thing. I need downtime on Monday to decompress sometimes yeah. if I'm on the weekend. Yeah, Monday is our Saturday a lot of times. I guess what people don't realize for me is I, I specifically, I don't, I'm much freer during the week than I am on weekends. So mm-hmm. if people want to get together with me for coffee, like, or even small groups or whatever, meetings in the middle of the week are better for me than weekends, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least currently that, 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 yeah. that could change with life. But, but uh, it is important that not everyone is on the same sort of nine to five fri- Monday to Friday mm-hmm. schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's never how my life has been. And yet, there is a method to the madness. So I guess one thing that had come up at a, like with somebody at a manual years ago, I was walking to church from the subway and this person came up to me and asked me, Oh, you've been out of town. Where have you been? And they know that I play concerts and I, I, I mentioned where I'd have been. And mm-hmm. then, and then she said, Oh, you think you'll be doing this forever? Like when are you, you know, you thinking about settling down or, well, it was, it was kind of caught, I, it caught me off guard. It wasn't meant in a, in, in a um, negative way, but it felt, it, it, it hurt <laughs> because it was like, whatever you're doing is just a temporary thing that surely you're not going to do forever because that's not stable or something like that. And uh, that was really disheartening as an artist, just, just uh, that I wish I hadn't heard that because it's hard to take the sting once you've, once you've heard that because there is a, it, it is hard, honestly, like, especially if you're unmarried and, and you're, um, you're doing your thing and people just wonder what on earth, why are you chasing around? And yet, what if this is your calling? God has called you to do a specific thing with your talents. And maybe it's not going to be a traditional lifestyle that everyone else espouses to. And I, I, ne- I, I generally felt supported by my closer friends, but I didn't always feel supported by the church, uh, maybe just people within the church didn't, didn't understand. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's something to just be cognizant of. If you're a, if you're attending a church and, and you see somebody who's co- maybe, I wouldn't call them on the fringes, but doing something different. It's, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's seriously, uh, if you want to get to know them, ask them what, what they're up to try to reserve judgment on those things. It reminds me of a book I was reading the other day. Um, I think it's called On the Business of Being a Writer by Jane Friedman. And the dedication of the book was like, to my mom, who, when I said I was going to go study creative writing in college, didn't tell me to go into something more lucrative. I was like, Aww. yeah, good mom right there. That's a right. supportive mom. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. Parents especially want their kids to, to choose something that's, quote, stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And music is not usually on the top of that list. Here's Annie Stevens-Gleason, a worship leader who leads middle school, high school, and adult bands at her church. She shares how different the lectionary resources are for contemporary worship and the vulnerability it takes to select music. I take a lot of time finding music. That's that's one of the my biggest, biggest 
This I'm, isn't just something you pulled out of your back pocket on Sunday right. morning. I can't open that the lectionary uh, year A hymn list and, and take it from there. There's a lot of searching and finding music or, or writing music or... or she would actually write music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it takes time. Like, I can't, I can't wake up on a Sunday morning and it be there <laughs> or choose it in, in a, a particular, out of a, out of a list that is given to me. A lot of taking from themes and going from there. Yeah, and probably also, like, letting the Spirit lead you in, mm-hmm. in what hymns you're going to select yeah. or what songs you're going to yeah, choose. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Um, I think in that sometimes, and I haven't really thought about it until just now, is there's a lot of vulnerability in that, is that because I'm choosing this music, mm-hmm. and it ha- it's not from a, a hymnal that, that a lot of people have talked about that, that they want to put these hymns together, but this is music that I've, I'm choosing mm-hmm. from places that, that aren't normal or traditional, so it's just trusting the Holy Spirit and going with it and hoping it, it flies. Next up is Deanna Witkowski, a jazz musician and composer. She talks about working with sound techs and the importance of the details when you're a guest musician at a church. One thing that comes to mind, although I would consider this person to be part of the music staff, though I don't even know if they're always viewed that way, is so in many churches, there will be a volunteer person who does the sound. Um, Mm, And, you know, or it's, the poor music director, I've been in this position where you're supposed to play, you're supposed to adjust as you're, you know, the soundboard as you're going along. It's like, that's impossible. That's really impossible. Mm-hmm. You need somebody else, you know, so, and you need someone else who can hear what it sounds like in the room, you know, away from the instruments and, and the, the singers. So, um, I would say to like, trust what the, <laughs> What the music leader tells you, and this is also, this goes for concert situations too. So I've had times where um, in churches and also in non-church venues where it's almost like the sound person, you know, will want to argue with me about if I say, look, I I really can't hear myself in the monitor. Can you adjust this or can you bring like, you know, the, the highs down on the EQ or like something like that. And, and I know for some churches, this doesn't even exist, you know, but for the churches where it does, it's like to actually have somebody who does what, what you ask for the sound and doesn't question you and say, well, no one else has ever asked us for that before, you know, because, because I've been in that situation, like, you know, too many times and it's hard, especially when you're a guest you know, because then you feel like, okay, now I have to deal with this thing. But I also feel like to not assume, um, I always try to check when I'm a guest, like just have five minutes at least, you know, with the pastor to go through if there's a bulletin, because I've still had the thing happen where, you know, and even this is in the pre-planning and saying like, okay, oh, great, great. You know, my prelude will be six minutes or something like that. And then I get there and they say, oh no, but the prelude doesn't start till we ring the bell and everybody's sitting down. And then it's like, well, you don't really want six minutes of music there, right? You want like about two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You, you want, want you know, the six minutes there. before yep. the bell. Or, you know, so I've had those things happen like the morning of where all of a sudden I realize, oops, you know, 
Um, so, and, you know, and I, yes, I'm a jazz musician and yes, I can, you know, come up with other endings to things and, you know, I'm a composer, but do I want to do that on things like my arrangement of Chopin B major nocturne where the whole thing is kind of through composed? No, I don't. And do I want to do that? Especially if there's vocal and I'm singing, you know, my piece about Mary Magdalene called from this place where it ends before she got to the empty tomb. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, no. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Yeah, come back next week. Come back next week. The song and I won't be here. You know, so, <laughs> so even those, those, those little things. Um, and I do try to check about that, but I would just say like, you know, even like, uh, just don't assume, I mean, um, don't assume that I know your, uh, tradition even though chances are i've probably you know played many times in you know your elca church or ucc church or like whatever yeah churches tend to think that they're the same like the the, the way they do things it's right. the normal of course what we do is the normal and it's like right. oh, but no <laughs> next up we hear from pastor lisa heffernan she shares her perspective on learning new music and why messing up is okay for my part when i have conversations with musicians I've worked with, whether it is in my current context or in other contexts I've gotten to serve in as as a minister of different kinds, be it lay or when I was an intern, that kind of thing. Looking at, say, if, if, if we're a lectionary congregation, what themes are the texts bringing about? And what music do we have that connects to those themes and to those pieces of scripture? And rather than just going, well, we know that hymn and people like that hymn, so we're going to do that one today. But I try to be, I strive to be very intentional in the way I work with musicians and song choices, that sort of thing, and saying, okay, what what are the themes that are being conveyed in our scripture today? And not and encouraging musicians and lay people to not be afraid to look outside of the box of the 30 hymns that they know well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> you know, and, and but knowing full well that we're not going to know every hymn. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to have our goof-ups during worship. We're going to have times when we just stop singing because we don't know how to do it. And that's okay. Mm. That's okay. But not being afraid to open up ourselves to seeing what other forms of music God might be bringing into our communities. That's a big permission that you're giving yourself in the congregation to say, it's okay to mess up on the hymn. It's okay to not know the whole thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a big permission. Yeah. Like, do you, I'm, I'm curious if you make that explicit to the congregation, like, that's okay. You can sing even if you don't know the whole thing. You know, I, that's something I'm not great at. It's something that I want to become better at because someone might say to me, oh, well, we really didn't know that hymn. And so I might say then, mm. let's do it again sometime. Let's mm -hmm. keep trying. And if there's a song that just mm -hmm. is not working, we've tried it five or six times and it's just not going, acknowledging that and be like, okay, maybe the choir can sing mm -hmm. it sometime or maybe there is a, a duet group mm. that can provide the song as special music. Yeah. Small ensembles for the win. Yeah. We, we know that we have our, hmm, I don't want to call them failings. We have our strong points that we're good at. We have our things that we're maybe not the best at. 
And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, every congregation is different. You're going to have congregations with these booming voices that have perfect harmony every time you give them a piece of music. And you have other congregations where music is a struggle. But that's okay. We're, we're still worshiping God. And if if a particular piece of music is becoming a hindrance to that worship, maybe reevaluating some of that music as well. You, you don't want it to be a stumbling block yeah. for your worship. Yeah, or the focal point of the worship, and that's the, right. all that everyone remembers from this Exactly. Service. Here's J.J. Wright, the director of Notre Dame's Folk Choir, sharing a powerful metaphor for the work we do in ministry. An interesting sort of parallel is that we're, we're building a house right now, like we talked about, and as I've been going through the process, I kind of, uh, and most, most people who work in other professions probably know this really well, but when you build a house, you spend all this time on things that no one will ever see. So you, you build the frame around the walls and then you, you build the, the foundation and, uh, and then you put the, the drywall on and, and you don't even actually see the pieces of drywall. You just see this finished product. And so I'm thinking, man, it's crazy because like, it's got to be 60 to 70% of the work that gets done on building a house. You never actually see what it was. Um, and I think that's an interesting parallel with music too, because, uh, yesterday, for example, we, we had rehearsal before our mass and, and, the, and there were probably 20 visitors in the rehearsal room, uh, old, old members of the choir or people's oh, wow. parents. And I was thinking, man, it's, this is so cool because they actually get to see the way we put this together. But even that, they, you know, at that point we'd already rehearsed, the, rehearsed this music for four hours. And so they're kind of just seeing like the 45 minutes of final touches that went on to the, to the top of that. But the other thing that people aren't really seeing either is the, you know, the, the 20 people that I've gotten, the 20 students that I've gotten coffee with this semester or in the conversations that we had that, that sort of made them want to come to choir and sing and, and want to try the things that I'm encouraging during rehearsal or the how, however many hours my assistant and I put in over the summer sort of planning the entire year so that it would be like one progressive journey, both, both in terms of the way that we hope the students will grow in their faith, but also the difficulty of the music and the, and the you know, the different levels of pieces that we can do throughout the year. So there's just, uh, that's not really a clear answer, but you know. But it's a helpful metaphor. Yeah. I, I think it's also helpful to think about all those all those things that we can't see. If we don't do them well, that shoddiness isn't necessarily revealed right away. Right. But uh, I guess truth will out. Here's our last guest, Anita Smolin, a youth leader. Before we recorded our conversation, Anita had written a blog post about the things she wanted people to know about her job. What you're about to hear is the cliff notes, so I'll have a link to Anita's full blog post in the show notes. Every once in a while on Facebook, there's something that pops up of like 10 things this pastor wants you to know about their job. And I'll read through it and I'll read through it and I go, yeah, that almost all of it applies to me. I'm not a pastor. I've never been called to ordained ministry. I've never been um, called to, in Lutheran terminology, warden sacrament. I've been called to, very much so called to lay ministry. And so I'll read through some of these and go, yeah, like nine out of 10 of these apply to me, but not all of them. And I posted this on Facebook one day and a buddy of mine was like, you should write up your own list. And so um, it's all her fault. And so I wrote my own list and I just happen to have it right here. Um, one of the things that I get a lot is that, um, no, really, this is my real job. You know, I get vacation time benefits and all that stuff. I put in 40, 60, 100 and however many hours a week there is when we go on, you know, mission trips and stuff like that. Yeah, this is my real job. Yeah, 
And I, there's sometimes though where I get seen as being less than because I'm not a pastor. And I don't think that's the case either. Like I'm, I'm definitely, this is a vocation. The church is changing. What I mean by that is when I started ministry 17 years ago, parents weren't necessarily as busy. Kids weren't necessarily as busy. But now we have a heck, especially um, in the area I live, multiple parents working multiple jobs so they can afford to live mm-hmm. just because it is so stinking expensive. Um, and so, yeah, parents don't have the time or energy to bring their kid to church every single time. So we or kind to of, midweek activities. Or to midweek activities. So we kind of have to park that kind of thought in in our brain. The other thing is, is that birth rates on the whole are going down. So are we ever going to get, we as the church, ever going to get back to that heyday of the 50s and 60s? Probably not, because we're we're talking about families that instead of having, you know, five to seven kids, they're having one or two. And so, yeah, might we might not ever get back to that heyday of when I was your age. We might never get back to that. And that's okay. And this, I'm speaking in the context of youth ministry. Um, a loud church is a live church. You know, having babies cry in church means that you have people in pews. Um, but that's also how you educate the next round of bases and tenors and pastors and ushers and organists and lectors and just about anything that I can imagine. Like that's how you, that's how you bring up the next generation and that's okay. Um, parents and guardians are the number one example of the faith. It is not my job as the church employee. It is all of our jobs, um, to be, um, educating our youth, um, in the ways of the church. Um, there's a, an author, two authors, um, by the name of Paul Hill and David Anderson. They wrote a book, a, a, it's still pretty standard youth ministry book called Frogs Without Legs Can't Hear. And they came up with the phrase of faith is caught more than it is taught. Um, and so when a, when a child is watching a parent or an important adult in the life of this child, watching that church is important, that prayer is important, that sing, congregational singing is important, that is what is going to affect the life of a, the faith life of a child most. There are 168 hours in a week and I see kids um, between one and four hours a week. That is two hours of the week is 3.3% of the week. A parent is going to be with a child a heck of a lot more than that. And so whatever those, however you're going to imbue faith into the DNA of the home is awesome. This one's super easy. When my people hurt, I hurt. And when my people succeed, I, it's awesome. And I know that that's weird because I'm not related to these people, but man, I, lo- I, I adore these kids and their joy is my joy and their pain is my pain. Uh, we've been having a lot of issues with our youth um, being bullied when they're at home or when they're in school. And it just breaks my heart because there's nothing I can do about it. I can, control is the wrong word, but I can shape what our environment is like when we're at church, but I can't, I can't when they're away. For youth leaders, retreats, lock-ins, and service learning trips is not vacation. And please be aware of your, yes, I see the look of evil, yeah. I'm sitting over here going like, what? People would consider that vacation? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I think you need a week of vacation to recover from any of these events. Correct. And and, and the thing is, because I'm in charge of these kids overnight. That is so much responsibility. Yeah, that is so much responsibility. That is not vacation. No. Like, after I come back from one of these trips, I, like, hibernate for, like, 36 hours. a lot hours. of chaperoning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it is not a vacation. Please be kind to your youth leader when they come back. Heck, before they leave, give them, like, a case of their favorite soda or, like, a Starbucks gift card that they can use when they're like driving the kids to and from or their favorite food or whatever, but please take care of them. But also please be aware that this is not vacation time. Yes, it's fun and it's life-giving, but it's also exhausting. Things things that are fun and life-giving, yeah, are often exhausting. Exhausting. Spoiler alert, I struggle with my faith. 
Like, yes, I work for a church. Um, but I have my moments where I doubt and I question and I scream and God and I have arguments. Okay, they're one-sided, but you see my point here. Um, but I am not magically the perfect picture of a person of faith because I struggle too. Spoiler alert, your pastor does too. Just so you know, youth are leaders in the church and they're not just chair movers. Youth can be ushers. Youth can be lectors. Youth can be leaders in many, many ways in the church. They are not just your, I'm not saying you personally, whoever, dear listener, um, but youth are not just your um, able-bodied, can move chairs and can set up 100 chairs in 15 minutes. Although it's great that they can do that and not have sad backs later. Yes, and not sad backs later. <laughs> that also is a good way to serve the church. Yes, it's also a good way of serving the church. There are many ways to serve the church. There are many ways to serve the church, but don't have this expectation that the youth are going to set up every single time. Mm, yeah. And especially for events that youth aren't invited to. Because mm. this, yeah. this has happened. Like, if they're going to help set up for an event, make sure that it's stuff that kids are invited to. Yeah. Have a seat at the table. Have a seat at the table. Yeah. Youth ministry is um, not an individual sport. And what I mean by that is we as youth leaders only see youth, you know, one to four hours a week. And also we as youth leaders can't do everything. If I tried to teach Sunday school and set up children's church and do all these things, I get exhausted. And not everybody is cut out to sleep on the floor of a school on a service learning trip. But you, dear listener, you might be able to take pizza or whatever food the youth group wants to the youth group or help provide snacks for youth group. Or um, make sure that, you know, if you're going to the craft store, call your youth leader, call your Christian ed people and say, hey, do you need anything from the store? I'm going. I can save you a trip. There are other ways we can help our youth ministry staff. Um, and it's not just being present. Even though that is deeply necessary, there are other ways too. Mm-hmm. And also the, my last thing is that I re- I love my job. I love working with and for our youngest of friends, our youngest brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That I get to sing, you know, I get to sing Jesus Loves Me every week. One of my prouder moments is that uh, I imbued in, <laughs> there's a group of six-year-old girls that their favorite song, at the time they were six, their favorite song in the world was Candlecle of the Turning. That's great. Who taught them that song? Miss like, Anita Miss taught Anita them that song. song! Yes. And we got to stomp our feet, fire so your justice burn. Um, That's great. It's awesome. But they're, they're, this is a great job. Not saying it doesn't have its stresses, but it's wonderful. And I, and I love it. It's, it's deeply a calling and it's, yeah, it's the greatest job in the world. So those are my 10 things that I really wish um, everybody in the world would know about being a youth leader in the church. Thank you to everyone we heard from today. You can find show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 39. The show notes have links to all the previous episodes where we heard from Darrell, Chelsea, Annie, JJ, Deanna, Lisa, and Anita. Plus, the show notes have links to any books or other resources that they mentioned in the episode. If you'd like to get in touch, shoot me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'm Sarah Bariza, and I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church.